Uh, today, I'd like to continue on our conversation, our newest sermon series around relationships by talking about the relationship that we have with ourselves. I don't know if you remember this, but uh, a number of years ago on Facebook, there was a uh, way to define relationships, and there was like a little drop-down menu so that you could say you were in relationship with someone, someone else could, and then you could define the relationship. You could say you're married, you're single, or a number of other things. Uh, The thing that stood out to me as I considered this topic would be that if I had to describe my relationship with myself, if it was to say, Kyle is in a relationship with himself, it would then say, and it's complicated. (laughs) You know, when I think about myself and how I view myself and how I interact within myself, I think, man, there is a lot of things that I like, but a whole lot more that I don't like. And there are some things I'm just not so sure about. Sometimes I resonate with the Apostle Paul who who wrote, you know, uh, there's a lot of things I want to do and I can just never seem to do them. And then there's a whole lot of other things that I don't want to do that I I just seem to keep on doing. And, and, And that's sort of how I feel about myself. I feel like it's a little bit complicated. And, uh, So I want to explore that a little bit today because I think how we view ourselves and how we understand ourselves, how we relate with ourselves has massive implications. For instance, just in the time where Jesus speaks to what is most important, he tells us that we are to love others as ourselves. Next week, we're going to talk about what does it look like to love others and to be in relationship with neighbor. But before we could ever get there, if there's this imperative command that Jesus tells us that we're supposed to love them like we love ourselves, we need to consider ourselves and and how we understand ourselves, how we uh, value ourselves, how do we measure ourselves, how do we gauge where we're at so that we can flow out from there. Now, I recognize this feels like a little bit of a weird topic, and it's not something we often talk about in church because we often spend time talking about our relationship with God or our relationship with others, but our relationship with ourselves has an important place in this conversation because how we view ourselves, how we understand ourselves, it will determine how we manage things like our emotions, It determines how we will choose to behave. It will determine what sorts of decisions there are to be made as we live out this life that we've been given. And so it's really important for us to to consider because it's not just going to impact ourselves internally, but it will impact everywhere that we flow out of. It'll impact our friendships, our marriages, our parenting. It'll uh, impact how... Our relationships are at school or at work or in a number of other facets of life. And it will especially come into play in how we have a relationship with God. Now, this is just such a huge topic, and so I'm not going to be able to get to every single part of it today, and we're going to have to come back to this at some point. Uh, I actually was sitting down at one point this week talking to my wife, and I was just saying, you know, there's just so much here. Like, I just, I just, I, I need a sermon series for 12 weeks just to scratch the surface of this topic. And so we're not going to try to cram 12 weeks into uh, the next half hour. But what I would like to do is sort of dive into a starting point 
to get us all thinking in a certain way about how do we measure ourselves? How do we find value in ourselves? Where does this healthy sense of self come from if we were ever to arrive there? And so I want you to just take a moment for a second to ask yourself, how do I view myself? What do I mean by that? I'm not asking you, like, do you look in a mirror in the morning and, 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 and gauge yourself? And by the way, you all look great this morning, but that's not what we're talking about. I mean, how do you define who you are? How do you know where your worth comes from? What would make up the list of saying who I am? Who's Kyle? Who's Colin? Who's Hans? Who's Lisa? Who's Sam? How would you define yourself? Just take a moment in your head, or if you're taking notes on the sermon page, just write down who you are, how you measure yourself. hard to do isn't it it's really hard like where do you begin what words do you use to describe yourself what place do I even start from as like a reference point for for where to go is it my relationship with, with others or my work or something is it is, is there like a master list of like characteristics is there some type of reflection I can find in, in something else to, to tell me who I am or to give me some sort of way to go? I mean, it's, it's challenging just because there's just so many ways to sort of measure ourselves. I mean, in, in, different, in different places, in different ways, we can find this. You know, our friends and our friendships are great ways to sort of have a, a measuring point for ourselves to understand uh, who we are in, in, in relationship to other people, what sort of relational capacity we have, what type of character we have if we're sort of a reflection of our, our peer group. Our bank account is a, is a measure of ourselves. It, it speaks about sometimes how good we are with money or maybe not so good we are with money. It can tell us about our work. And then thinking about work, I mean, our, our job descriptions can give us a, a measurement of self because as we go to work we're evaluated against a, a list and that tells us something about ourselves but the problem with all of these things is there's just one point of reference and then it seems like there's a million others none of these things are, are, are comprehensive none are balanced and the problem is even if we evaluate ourselves against them none of them are really that objective because again we're looking from within without to look back within. I had a really interesting exercise the other day in which I, I, I took a video of myself and I tried to flip it around. You know, what's interesting is we've only ever looked at ourselves in one way. We only ever see ourselves how we look directly in a mirror coming back at ourselves. And there was this sort of psychological evaluation that was done in tests and it found that most people have a jarring sense of self when they see themselves the way others see them. We, our brains actually have been trained for so long to just understand a mere reflection of ourselves that if we flipped that image, we actually can't handle it. It doesn't look like ourselves to us, even though that's how exactly how we look 
to everyone else. Using the wrong measurements in our lives ends up distorting us. Have you ever been in one of those weird rooms in the funhouse where there's all the different mirrors that distort you? You know, you go sit in front of the one and you're tall and skinny, my favorite one, and then you go over to the, the next one and you look a little bit more short and round. And then you go to the next one and it's got that like swirly pattern and, and it just like kind of causes your head to spin as, as you try to look within yourself. That's what happens. <clears throat> That's the danger that comes into our lives if we measure ourselves incorrectly or against someone else. Because what happens is we end up twisting and seeing ourselves often in sort of one of two different categories. We can end up thinking too highly of ourselves or we can end up thinking too lowly of ourselves. Both of which are problematic as we try to, to consider how we're going to interact not just within, but without. It's going to impact how we live out that great command to love the Lord our God with all of ourselves and, and love our neighbors like we love ourselves if we don't have it good, if we don't have it right, if we don't have it all figured out. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to consider how we value ourselves by sort of looking at these two different dangerous extremes, thinking too highly of ourselves and thinking too lowly of ourselves. And as we do that, we're going to look at a few different scriptures that speak to those things to perhaps give us a more objective standard for how we can think about ourselves. And then at the end of this time, I'm going to just offer you a moment to consider. How will I value myself? How will I go about getting a better self reflection, self-picture, so that we can move on throughout this relationship series. But let's start with this idea of thinking too highly of ourselves. Anyone know someone who thinks too highly of themselves? Have you ever worked with that person or been in a relationship with that person? No? Just me? No, yeah, I see some hands, right? That, that's, we all know somebody who, who thinks too highly of themselves, and, and we've seen the impact that it can have on relationships, right? When someone has that sort of sense of superiority others over others, they sort of end up in this relational antagonism with everybody else. They end up putting everybody else down, they end up elevating themselves, and they often end up becoming detached from the world around. Now, if you're not sure if you fall into this category, let me suggest that you can find out by asking yourself, what am I valued against? If you make a list to define yourself against somebody else, what our natural propensity to do is say, I'm going to look for someone that I'm better than. Ah, oh, that person's pretty terrible about that. I'm a little bit better. Well, that person really struggles in this way. But I don't have that struggle. That's how we know if we're at risk of this category. And one thing I should say to sort of put as a caveat, we don't end up falling in this category perhaps in every aspect of life. We might find that we're high in one place and low in another. But that's because we're measuring ourselves from all these different vantage points. 
And the problem with this is not only does it impact our relationships with those around, but it actually impacts our relationship with God. As people who are followers of Jesus, this should particularly concern us. Because one of the things that happens when we view ourselves quite highly is we end up thinking, I've got everything figured out. I've got all sorts of these things under control. And even when things start to spin and get away from us, we think, I can grab that myself. And that robs us. That robs us of the ability that we need to find ourselves in need of God. It robs us of opportunity to see how God will provide in meeting our needs. It'll end up getting all over the place and we're just going to make a mess of ourselves. And so let's consider this and what the Bible might have to say about how we view too highly of ourselves. First, by considering viewing ourselves too highly against the measuring stick of other people. This measuring stick that we use of considering ourselves against others goes way out of whack when we say, hey, I'm better than somebody else. I'm doing better in this area. Maybe my spiritual life, you're sitting in your community group and you're like, man, that person's really made a mess of this part of their life. Good thing I'm not there. Well, the problem that happens when we end up in this place is we end up throwing out the understanding that's foundational of self. Right at the beginning of scripture, God actually spoke of the value of self. First chapter of the Bible, and I think that's powerful. In Genesis 1:27, we read this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The one reason why we can never measure ourselves properly to get a good sense of self is that we are all created in the image of God. Even though none of us looks like someone else. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? This has been on my mind this week. Well, as I considered it and was trying to picture an analogy, I, I couldn't help but go to works of art, to sculptures in particular. What is an artist trying to do when they create a lifelike sculpture? They're trying to tell a story about someone else. They're trying to freeze someone in time so that other people can come up to that piece of art and understand something. Maybe it's that this person was wise, or this person was kind, or this person was strong and brave, or perhaps they're humble and meek. But as the artist tries to mold together the sculpture, what they want to give is an understanding, an insight, an image into who someone is. And so what they can do at the end of the day is they can take that sculpture and they can put it up on display, whether it's in the middle of downtown or in an art gallery somewhere. And what will happen is as people walk by, they'll look at it and see something. Something about that person and their characteristic. And, 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 and the, as they notice it, what they'll hear is what they were, hopefully, if they're good, what they were trying to say. What did God do as he put humanity on display? He tried to impart who he is in an image. In you and I. But what God put into all of us is, is, is common, but it's also unique. God is far bigger than any of us can possibly understand. 
God is far stranger to our mind than any one image could possibly comprehend. And so what God has done on this particular day is he's made 8 billion representations of himself in art. Each one a little different so that we can see different little pieces of God. You can't compare one work of art to another in the sense of telling it whether it's right or wrong in what it's trying to say. You can't even use one to describe the other in a completely cohesive way. Because each one is unique. And it's designed to give an image of one kind. And so when you and I, when we try to measure ourselves against other people, we end up skewing our reflection because what God might be trying to say through person A isn't exactly what he's trying to say through person B. And so there's a uniqueness that's designed within this. The next place that we sometimes go wrong in measuring ourselves is that we think of ourselves on a scale of what it means to be good people. Have you ever done this? Well, I'm a pretty good person. I showed up at church today. Maybe I gave to charity last year and I'm waiting for that tax receipt. Maybe I helped that old lady cross the street or I helped get that cat down from that tree. I'm, you know, pretty good. I don't cheat on my taxes. And we create this measure, not just of of these arbitrary steps that we've put in place, but then we do that again against other people. Well, I'm better than Hitler. Maybe I'm not quite as good as Mother Teresa. And we try to sort of put this articulation somehow in this subjective way about whether or not we're good or bad on any given day. And we try to view ourselves. But the problem with this is that this doesn't line up with the objective of you and I from God. There's a troubling little three-letter word spelled S-I-N. The Apostle Paul writes this to give us some framework. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. What God was saying through the Apostle Paul here is we cannot measure ourselves on the standard of am I good today? Have I accomplished enough in this life of doing enough charity, serving enough hours volunteer, or being a little bit better than someone else who's done some form of atrocity? And the reason we can't is because, again, we're not measured against our standard of what we define as good. We're not measured against the life of another, but we're measured against God's standard of who God is and how he wants things to be. And so it doesn't matter how good you've been, how good I've been, we've all sinned. What I love about this is God has given us an objective standard. He said there's perfection, there's holiness, there's being set apart and perfect, and then there's not. And you either are or you aren't. There's no moving target. 
And why I like that is because every other target that we have in our life moves. Have you ever thought about that, how everything else shifts for how we might define ourselves? We can move cities or join a new softball team or go to a party and suddenly our view of our measure of friends and relationship can suddenly change. Every parent recognizes that as you raise a child, your measure of parenting changes. I used to just have to keep it alive and warm and fed. Now I have to deal with its emotion and its chaos and its activities, and I have to help it become a good human being that makes good decisions. I was really good over here, maybe not so good over here, right? But with sin, with God's standard of perfection, there's no movement within God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, so the measure of what's good and what's within his standard never changes, it never flexes, it it never moves in any stage of our lives, it will always remain. And that's a good way to gauge our lives. We've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and because of that we all experience death, And there's a risk without faith in Jesus that we will all experience an eternity separated from him on a pain and suffering. That's all chalked up to sin. Now for most of us in the room, hopefully we can kind of get past that to this place of saying, hey, but I've come to faith in Jesus. Actually, things are pretty good. Thankfully, I'm saved. I don't have to worry about that objective level of sin because I've been saved. That's actually pretty twisted, though. And it's actually very unbiblical. Because not only do we need to be saved from our sin, but sin lives within. And the death that we avoided dying, which is eternal separation from God, still needs to take place within our lives. We still need to die time and time again. Paul, in another place, writes this letter to the church in and he writes in Colossians chapter 3 that we have a continual need to kill what's going on within. He writes this, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Put to death what is part of you, the the humanity piece of you. Put it to death, all that sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which are idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Even though you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, you must now also continue to rid yourself of anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language that's on your lips. Don't lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practice and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the Creator. There is no Gentile, no Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. You and I, we might be saved, and that's a standard which we can achieve, but the problem is there's still more to die within. Because we're still full of sexual immorality, impurity, lust, greed, idolatry, anger, malice, slander, dirty jokes, lies, and some form of sense of superiority. Not one of us gets off that list. This is important because it reveals the reality of our brokenness, 
of our sin, of our need for a Savior. Even once we're saved, we need continued saving again. So we can see there's all sorts of dangers in thinking too highly. Because if we think too highly of ourselves, if we measure ourselves against our own standard or against the standard of others, we don't realize the reality that lies within. That we're sinners in need of a Savior day in and day out. But while there's that danger of measuring on one side too high, there's also a danger in measuring ourselves too low. And this is where I think most people sit most of the time. I don't actually know that many people who always live on the high side. I think most of us value ourselves quite lowly. And the sad thing is that as we evaluate ourselves lowly, we do a number of things. We diminish our ability to positively relate with others. If we're supposed to love others as ourselves and we view ourselves too lowly, we're always going to miss the standard that God has for us in loving others. It can leave us in this place where because of our poor reflection of self, we actually never step out in faith to do the things that God calls us to in some way because we will always say, I'm not good enough. But where I think one of the greatest dangers is is that when we view ourselves too lowly, we insult our creator. And that's dangerous. I think it's really helpful that we have balance. Some of us have come into faith because we've on one side of this thing that, hey, you are a wretched sinner in need of a savior. And we stay there. But we never hear the opposite part of the scale which says that we are a value. I think it's really important that we remind ourselves today of a famous couple lines from a famous song contained within the Bible. And that's this, in Psalm 139, it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb, and so I will praise you, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works, God, are wonderful, and I know that full well. The psalmist said that when they came to a recognition of what was going on within, and every single one of us needs to come to that place as well. How often are you able to look within and say, wow, I'm actually wonderfully made. Most of us don't walk around going, hey, I'm wonderful. I'm the work of God. But that's true. We should be able to, in a humble sort of way, recognizing the creator who put his image within. While you and I are prone to make mistakes, the good news is that God never does. He made you exactly how you're supposed to be. Yes, we bring sin into the equation, but in what God has done, it is wonderful. He made you fearfully and wonderfully, and he put his image within. You are made in his perfect image. Distinct, unique, and beautiful. God created you, a holistic being, heart, body, mind, and soul. And he designed you to reflect him and to serve him in a perfect way, 
in a particular way to glorify himself. That's a pretty incredible thing. Something must be awfully wonderful to deserve bringing God glory. Does our deserving that come from ourselves? No, it doesn't. It comes because God chose it to be that way. I think that's wonderful. It is one of the reasons I love art. If you came over to our house, you would see art all over the place. Some of it really nice. Some of it was drawn by a small child. It's not always that great. But every piece of art that's all over the place says something wonderful. We have pottery by a local guy named Dave. We have textile pieces. We have prints. We have original paintings. We have sculptures. We have books. We have music. We have movies. And I love that as each one of them is on display, it has something to say. Whether I have to interact with it or I can just view it, it says something. It speaks to me in a particular way. For instance, we have three pieces of art that have nothing to do with one another. But they speak and remind me of my family's story. We have a, 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 an image of Black Tusk, which is this amazing figure up in Squamish area, and that reminds me of the place I met my wife. And then we have another print, which is the map of the stars on the night that we got married. And then we have another painting that was painted by a local Abbotsford artist that captures the first home we bought together when we had come to Abbotsford. These three pieces of art, each one distinct, captures something lovely about our family. And we have so many other prints that each have their own special way of speaking. But what's amazing is that while the, the objects speak to the subject of them, they speak to more than that, which is our story. Every single one of us was meant to share something, it was meant to reveal something, and it was meant to point to someone. You are music. You're a painting. You're a sculpture, you're a movie, you're a collection of photographs, and that's bringing God glory and bringing him joy. And it's helping others to receive that message as well. Even from the very first day when you were made, God started this story. And as we follow him, as we journey with him, he just can continues to mold us as clay to represent him more and more each day. It actually really breaks my heart that so many Christians walk around with a lack of sense of value because we are valuable art continually on display, showing what the creator wants to meticulously cultivate in his story as he brings about his kingdom. I believe that's why there's this important part of what Jesus says when he tells us what we are to do first and foremost. If you were to ask Jesus what's the most important command that I could follow, he would say, love me this way. Mark 12, 30 said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Because not only does God desire to be loved by his creation, but I believe he wants to experience him 
as we offer ourselves to him. As we offer ourselves to God through the engagement of every part of us, we actually don't just see ourselves more clearly, but we see him more clearly, and the two things together are beautiful. I think what's also really important and why I say this is a danger in the sense that it can insult God is I think that there is a danger when we only view ourselves as garbage that's worthy of being chucked away. And that danger that comes with that is saying that Jesus really didn't do all that much. For some reason, we've begun to say that the good news of Jesus is about trash repurposing we say that what jesus did when he came to earth was he just went for a big dumpster dive to find a few stained craft supplies he wants to make a piece of art but he's just going to use the trash that he finds lying around on the face of the earth all covered in muck and disgust that's what we've said maybe not intentionally But that's what we've said. We've said Jesus has come to repurpose some trash that we are to try to create something out of it. But I think that devalues him. I think that devalues the sacrifice of Jesus. I think there's got to be another way to understand this. And the best way that I can describe is that Jesus didn't come for a trash repurposing. He came for a treasure recollection. Jesus didn't come to pick up trash. He became to recover his treasure. Silver and gold can get tarnished. Things can begin to be obscured by our sin. But that doesn't deplete the treasure that's within. That doesn't rob it of its value. I believe that we matter to God with such value that he was willing to give up what was most important, himself, his son, to go through an incredibly horrendous experience so that he could, by enabling us to have faith in him, recover his treasure. How dare you? How dare me? How dare we say that we don't have value? Because in doing so, we devalue God. That's an important message for us to understand, for us to see who God is, for us to see how we're going to love others, but also just for us to understand as we exist, as we walk through day to day, as we relate within ourselves. We must come to this place where we understand who God is and who we are within that. That will rechange your thinking. As you begin to understand that, it will, re- it will change your behavior. It will change your attitude and your mindset. It will change the decisions that you make day in and day out.
So how do we get there? I want to leave you with a, a few quick little pieces of practical advice to start this exploration of who you are in a healthy way, not against a moving goalpost, but against what God says of you. First and foremost, the first thing you should do is look to God for your definition. I love that scripture includes, yes, this sin that we are, this thing about sin that we're in need of a savior so that we understand that we are not worthy of God's love on one hand, but it also includes this wonderful inclusion about our value. There's this balance within and we need to begin to understand that. We need to read the scriptures. And one place I would encourage you to go to is just the Psalms and the Proverbs. The Psalms are full of this beautiful poetry that talks about our our relationship with God and what goes on within. And then the Proverbs give us all this wisdom for how to live our lives and how to understand what's right and what's wrong, what's foolish and what's godly, what's, what's right within, what's wrong within, and helps us sift through all of that. Spend some time reading through that. It's amazing. If you just read a psalm a day and a uh, a proverb a day, you'd get through the whole book of Proverbs in a month and then be able to go back. And then over a number of months, you'd be able to see all the highs and lows that are within as you go through the psalms. Allow God to define you. Don't define yourself against whatever, whoever, wherever. The next thing I would encourage you to do is surround yourself with people who are godly who have your best interest in mind. Again, one of the things that's so easy for us to do is just get stuck inside of ourselves, and it's good to have other Christian people in community who can provide some accountability and some encouragement. I'd I'd strongly encourage you, if you're not in a community group in the church, get in a community group. You're never going to be known in the sea of people on a Sunday morning, but when you're in community, you can get in deeper with people who can begin to see your sin and call it out, who can see your value and call it out, and who can help you walk through these things. I've been so thankful for my community group in this church for over the last five and a half years. I think our group has been together, and and these are folks who help me see what God sees in me, what God wants out of me, so that he he can really be seen in me. Third thing, I'd encourage you to go to therapy. I'm serious on this. I think a lot more people need therapy than that actually go. I go to therapy. It's okay. I might scare you, but it's a good thing. There's good Christian counselors and therapists who are able to help us deal with the issues in our past and the problems that we have and help us sort it through in a godly, biblical way. I know for some there's this, this hesitation when I say that because it's this admission that there, there's something wrong with me if I go to counseling. And I would actually say it's the other way around. I would actually almost dare to say that something's wrong with you if you're not willing to see that you might need someone else to speak to and to help you. And so I encourage you to consider that. Find, if you want help finding a good Christian counselor, we've got lots in town that we refer to, reach out to us. We'd love to help you. And it's not because they have the answer. That the solution's only found in God and God's word. But they can help you process those things together. And finally, I encourage you to offer all of yourself to what God calls you to. We were made in God's image image with a a set of gifts and abilities and passions that he decided to mix in when we begin to follow him he throws in spiritual gifts and he puts us in a place 
all for the purpose of, yes, bringing himself glory, but doing so in and through us. And as we offer ourselves to him, as we use what he's put within, we begin to not just understand ourselves, but we begin to understand him more. This is part of the tarnish removal to discover the treasure within. And so if you're here in this place, you need to walk away today recognizing, yes, you are a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. But God has come to rescue the treasure within. And so if you have yet to follow Jesus, the good news is Jesus has died so that you could follow him and be a relationship with him so that you could experience all that he would have you discover about him. And it's free. You just have to recognize your need and call on him. But for all of us who have been following him, don't you dare walk away this week thinking of yourself as trash or just looking at the sin. But look and understand what God sees within, which is his image. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. God, uh, really a challenging topic even to just like begin to, to see ourselves in a new, new way. But God, I, I pray that we don't just do that for some type of self-care or self-reflection, even though those things are good. But Lord God, we do it so that we understand you and so that you're glorified. And so, God, I pray that every single one of us could take even away, take away even a slice of this. That we could just recognize the beauty that's within, within us because that beauty is in you. It's a reflection of you. And so, God, I thank you so much for who you are. Jesus, I thank you that you were willing to offer yourself through pain and suffering, through sickness and sadness, to die so that you could collect us for your glory. Lord, as we worship you now, Lord, as we sing this song, Lord God, I just pray that we would hear who you say we are, not what we say about ourselves, not what someone else says about us, but Lord God, will we hear the truth. It's within your word, it's within the song, and Lord God, we offer it all up to you for your glory. Jesus, be big in our lives. Pray in your name. Amen.